the Holy Spirit has done quite a bit by the time we get to Pentecost. Um, but 80% of references to the Holy Spirit come after the Gospels. <laughs> Scriptures, uh, in, as we saw last time, have prepared us to expect that future work of the Spirit, that the Spirit would do even more after the death, resurrection, and ascension of Christ. So Pentecost is a major turning point um, in, the, uh, in biblical revelation. Um, it marks the transition from the old to the new covenant. It signifies the commencement of the now day of salvation. It's the birth of the church. It's the threshold of the last days and it inaugurates the new era. So today, we will examine this moment on the day of Pentecost where the Holy Spirit makes its dramatic appearance among Christ's disciples. And in many ways, um, from this point on, uh, we will never get away from, from Pentecost um, because the rest of our class um, uh, for the next uh, 10 weeks or so will be focused on the new presence and gifts of the Spirit after Pentecost, um, this new role of the Spirit in the life of the church, and in the lives of believers. Um, so uh, we're going to camp in one passage today. So I'll just go ahead and read the entirety of, um, of um, sections. Uh, we'll be reading verses 1 through 8 of, um, of Acts of the Apostles, and then I'll read the entirety of chapter 2 um, to, to get us started about thinking about um, what happens on the day of Pentecost. So here now, the word of God, um, I'll start in Acts 1, I'll read through verse 8, um, and then I'll pick it up again in chapter 2. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons, but that, that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And now picking up in chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, um, what does this mean? But others, mocking, said they are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you 
and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness, and the moon to blood, before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is, my right, he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced, my flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades, or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he, is both that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we all are witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. All right, so that, in a quick nutshell, is the day of Pentecost. Um, and last time, we, we talked about the necessity of Jesus' departing in order for the Spirit to come. That Jesus said it was necessary for him to go, but it was better for him to go so that they might receive the Spirit. Um, 
So the question I want to start with today is, okay, it's necessary for Jesus to leave, but why the wait? Why do they have to wait after Jesus's, Jesus ascends into heaven? Why do they have to wait um, 10 days until the, the Holy Spirit appears? Why the, why the lag time? Why wait till the day of Pentecost for, um, or the feast of Pentecost um, in Jerusalem until the Spirit arrives? Okay, uh, any specific prophecy or? <laughs> okay, there's a lot of fulfillment of prophecy, that's for sure. And, and, and as we see Acts, um, it's, it's, um, Luke is narrating it, um, these, um, especially chapter 2. He's narrating chapter 2 as the fulfillment of many prophecies. Um, that uh, There are lots of prophecies coming to pass um, in chapter 2. Um, but I can't think of any specific prophecy that sort of specifies it, it would be this particular feast on this particular day, even though I think this feast and this day are significant. Yeah, Andre. Yeah, to, to sort of, this is the right moment for this event to take place. And again, this is, um, I keep trying to think of the analogy for this moment. Um, this is the, you know, um, it's like, you know, when you throw a big rock in, a, in the water and like it, you know, the big giant splash and then you get the waves and ripples that are, you know, keep coming <laughs> from that giant moment. And this is this giant moment where you have all these peoples um, from all these nations. And notice the emphasis that he, you know, he just doesn't say there are lots of foreigners in town for the feast day. You know, he specifically lists, you know, these are people coming from pretty much the reaches of the known world. And they've all gathered in Jerusalem for this day, um, for this festival. And that's the moment, the spirit comes and makes its public appearance. What about, why, why are they there? What, does anybody remember what the Feast of Pentecost is about? What they celebrate? Well, they've been celebrating. Pentecost comes 50 days after Passover. So we're 50 days. Um, Pentecost is, is, you know, the penta. Um, that's what the Penta is for. You know, it's a, it's a feast day that's marked exactly 50 days after the celebration of the Passover. Yeah, so there are lots of feasts in the Jewish calendar. Um, but I think there's something, you know, yeah, particularly why the Feast of Pentecost. Yeah, Andre. Yeah, absolutely. That the Pentecost is a day in which, um, in, in, let me uh, get back here so I can actually look at my references. So if you, um, the Pentecost is, is described in Exodus 23:16, Leviticus 23, uh, verses 15 through 21. Um, you get descriptions of the day of Pentecost. And it is the, the, the beginning of the harvest where they, they taste of the first fruits and offer the first fruits back to God. And notice, uh, you know, the connection you make there. This is the first fruits of the church. 
Um, this is the beginning of the church, the beginning of this harvest. And look how Luke narrates it. Um, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria to the end of the earth. You know, look at that kind of, you know, boom. It's hitting in Jerusalem and, you know, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. You know, it's sort of like this is this epicenter moment. And this is the first fruits of this worldwide harvest that, I mean, think about how, that, how often that had been prophesied um, in our study of Isaiah, that, um, that this message isn't just for you, but through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And we're seeing the first fruits of that in this moment. All these nations that have gathered there for the feast in Jerusalem, um, that they are you know, there to, to hear um, the appearance of the Spirit and to hear this proclamation um, that Peter makes and to see the church born. I mean, to, to see this is the moment the church um, as a New Testament entity, gathered community of believers in Jesus Christ, this is the moment that church is formed. Um, the other thing about Pentecost um, that uh, it's a lot of people talk about is significant. Um, by this time um, in, in um, Israel's history, um, Pentecost had also been uh, become to be associated with um, the giving of the law at Sinai. Um, so, you know, it it's commemorates the giving of the law to Moses. Um, and sort of similarly to we talked about, you know, the first fruits of the harvest. So here it's the, um, this is the moment that the law, as Jesus had told his disciples when we studied John um, a couple weeks ago, where the law isn't just going to be an external thing. But now that law is going to be written uh, on their hearts. It's not the gift of the law written on tablets of clay, but the gift of the Spirit who writes the law in the hearts of believers and by his power enables them to fulfill the law's commands. So this, you know, as we see, this is almost a, a new kind of Sinai moment. Just as the, the nation of Israel is really forged at Sinai, you know, God is making a calling a people to himself, um, and he forges that people's distinct identity at Sinai. So here we have a forging of this new covenant people um, as all these Old Testament promises begin to be fulfilled. Good. Um, other things about, you know, why this moment? So, you know, so some of it is just the pragmatic you know, that all these nations of the earth have, have gathered here on the day of Pentecost. But then I think there's also this um, symbolism, um, as Andre pointed out, that, you know, this is the first fruits of the harvest of the church. This is the, the moment where the law isn't just given as an external matter, but now it's going to be written on people's hearts. All right. Um, so... Um, and feel free to ask questions on any of the chapters, but I want to focus most of our attention this morning on, on chapter 2. Um, so when the day of Pentecost arrived, they, they've all gathered, uh, all, all 11 apostles have gathered together in one place. Um, so in chapter 2, how, do we, um, how is the Holy Spirit's appearance made manifest? How do we know that this is the moment? So Jesus has told them to get together and wait. How do they know that the moment is now? Yeah, this rushing of the wind. Um, a sound like the mighty rushing wind. And you know, think about back to when we talked about the origins of the word um, spirit, that you know, spirit has a root meaning, can also mean you know, wind. And so the spirit has come with this mighty rushing wind. Um, and it's loud enough, you know, notice that, um, that the crowds, um, uh, there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together. So it's not just like, you know, some kind of silent wind. 
um, but it's, it's a roar. <laughs> you know, this is, um, this is something tangible, not just to the guys in the room, but throughout the, the city. So something um, of great um, significance is taking place. So good. So part of the, um, uh, the manifestation is coming through this um, great and loud wind. Okay. Then we have these, these tongues of, of fire um, appearing um, that these, you know, this, uh, um, this fire, tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. Um, and remember what, what John had taught about Jesus, you know, that I baptize with water, but he will baptize with the Holy Spirit and fire. Um, and so, you know, we mentioned that this, this chapter is a fulfillment of prophecy. So here is a fulfillment of Jesus's and John's teaching about what Jesus's ministry um, will inaugurate. That this baptism, um, so even though Jesus has ascended, in a sense, he's the one baptizing his disciples at this moment. And he's doing so with, um, with fire and the Holy Spirit. And it has to be done, you know, at this moment, because as the Gospels describe that fire, it's an unquenchable fire um, that, that's descending upon them. And if their sin hasn't been dealt with, that fire, that fire of God's holiness would consume them. But because we're now this side of the work of, of the cross, we're this side um, of Christ's ministry, now the Spirit can take up residence in believers because of that work Christ had done for them. So now he can baptize them with the Holy Spirit, um, which is being you know, visibly manifest. So we've got you know, ears, hear it, eyes, see it. Um, so the passage you're referring to, um, so just flip back um, a, a page <laughs> if you're at the beginning of Acts. So flip back to the end of John. Um, so uh, you get a description of Jesus appearing to his disciples um, in John chapter 20. Um, so verse 19, I'll start. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad, and they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. So, um, so what we have to wrestle with, what's happening in that moment and what's happening in this moment. And, and I think one thing to distinguish is um, the Holy Spirit is, is present um, in this, among the disciples before this moment. Um, that, you know, Peter's confession, you are Christ. Um, what does Jesus say? You know, flesh hasn't taught the, you this. Um, Simon, it's the spirit <laughs> um, has, has given you these words. Um, so, you know, their ability to confess and believe in Christ um, is, is the result of their having the spirit. Um, what's happening in Acts is, is something more um, dramatic. Um, and again, it's sort of just as we have, you know, Jesus showing up at John and John's like, there's no need for me to baptize you. What are you doing here? You don't have sin. <laughs> you should be baptizing me. And Jesus is like, no, we've, we've got to do this. And it's this dramatic moment. All four Gospels narrate it. So that's a pretty strong testimony to how important it is. Um, it's, it's for the fulfillment of Christ says of all righteousness. And here, this moment has to take place to, to fulfill this prophecy, um, to fulfill the prophecy that Christ had said, I will baptize you with fire and the Holy Spirit. So there's something distinct about this moment. Um, and I would say 
um, distinct uh, apart from the normal work the Holy Spirit does in individual lives. And again, this is the birth of the church. So the Holy Spirit at the birth of the church is making itself manifest in tangible ways, ways that are available to our senses. Um, how else does the Spirit made manifest? So we hear it, we see it. Yeah, so here they, they start speaking um, in, uh, in other tongues so that all these visitors who gathered um, in Jerusalem hear the message of the gospel in their own language. Um, you know, that just as um, we can sort of think of this being a moment where um, the new creation is starting to take place, um, like that rushing wind is an, an allusion to that wind hovering over the tohu and bohu in Genesis 1. Um, you know, so creation um, uh, is, is starting to be restored. Um, Babel is starting to be undone. The curse of sin, and think of, you know, all those curses that fall upon humanity. Those are starting to be undone now that the spirit is present. Um, taking those divisions uh, of language, the divisions um, as we go through the entirety of the book of Acts, the division between Jew and Gentile, the things that have kept people separated and divided, the sin, frankly, that's kept, and consequences of sin that's kept people divided is now um, is being undone as the disciples receive promised power of the Spirit to enable them to be witnesses to Christ all over the world. Um, on this day of Pentecost, a new community is created in which the effects of sin uh, begin to be re reversed in a reconciled people consisting both of Jew and Gentile, united by the Spirit in their allegiance to one Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah, Bill. Um, yeah, so, well, um, yeah, they're all together in one place. So um, there's debate on that, um, you know, is it all 11, um, all 120? <laughs> um, so, you know, who, well, no, I think every, all the believers there receive the Holy Spirit. Um, and then they proclaim, you know, they're empowered to proclaim. So the way I read it, just because the last, uh, the end of uh, chapter one, and they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. And so the last kind of reference before we begin to is the 11. So the way I picture it is the 11 are gathered together, and the Holy Spirit comes upon them. But it comes upon them in a way that all in Jerusalem, you know, and the effects of it coming upon all 11 is that all Jerusalem hears the tumult and assembles, and they all hear. You know, that's where we, you know, the all. Um, they were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation. Um, and at this sound, the multitude came together. They were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? I mean, it's, they're all hearing this message. Um, again, this dramatic moment where here they recognize uh, these guys, they shouldn't know um, Parthian. <laughs> they shouldn't know uh, Egyptian. They shouldn't know Latin, <laughs> and yet, you know, they're speaking, and we're hearing <laughs> a message. And notice how they describe it. Um, tell, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. So what they're speaking is intelligible to them, 
And it's, this, it's a message. It's a distinct message. It's not just that they're speaking in some kind of amazing language, but they are delivering um, this gospel of Jesus Christ that it's, it's, it's going forward in the power of the Spirit. So, so it's, it's being manifested, you know, visibly the Spirit is, is present. Um, it's being manifested, you know, in the sound. But most of all, it's being manifested in this dramatic proclamation of the gospel. Um, and we get a snapshot of that with this um, sermon of Peter. You know, what are they saying? What's the mighty works of God they're talking about? Well, I think we get the glimpse of that um, in this description of Peter's sermon. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. And so his, his message then goes on to interpret what they've heard. You know, so this amazing thing has happened, and everybody's assembling the crowd. What's happened? <laughs> and now he's going to give his, his explanation of what has just happened. So what is that um, explanation? As we look at Peter's sermon, how does he interpret the events of the day of Pentecost? Yeah, yeah, he quotes this lengthy section um, from the prophet Joel. And remember, we looked at that prophecy, well, it's been over a month, <laughs> so maybe you don't remember. Um, but, uh, you know, over a month ago, we looked at this very same prophecy from Joel. And that prophecy is, is attached to this messianic uh, era. So he is saying what the prophet Joel said about, you know, Pouring out my spirit on all flesh, your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old, young men shall see visions, your old men shall see dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. That's now. <laughs> um, that is this moment. So what's happening, he, he's positioning, and as we hear these, you know, for, for Peter, this ability to speak and people of all nations hearing um, um, this, uh, what's xenoglossia is what it's called, you know, the ability to speak um, known languages um, that you're not trained in. Um, so like, uh, yeah, so like if all of a sudden I started speaking and there was somebody in the room, German, um, and my, I don't speak German, my German reading exam was said, very low, pass, barely. <laughs> um, so, you know, so, you know, something dramatic is happening if you're, if I'm speaking in a known tongue that I really don't know. Um, that, and that's what's happening here, this xenoglossia. Um, that, um, but notice for him, that ability to do that is prophecy. You know, the, the ability to proclaim this, this message, that this is the fulfillment of prophecy. He's equating this ability to speak in these other languages as the Spirit coming out and pouring uh, through them prophecy. Yeah, and you, you might speak, um, so there, there are basically two forms of tongue speaking. There's this form of tongue speaking, xenoglossia, and then the one more familiar one that, that um, um, Pentecostal believers talk about, which is glossolalia, which is speaking in um, this, this language that it's not any known language among men, um, and it sounds like to an outsider gibberish. Um, so I think it's really significant that they're speaking known languages. Like you could hear somebody speak Glossolalia and say, that guy's drunk. Because <laughs> he's not, you know, he's speaking and, and sounds are coming out, but they're not making any sense. Um, but yeah, I think you're absolutely right that, you know, here, because they're speaking known languages, um, no amount of alcohol will be able to help me speak Spanish. <laughs> Um, I might imagine I'm speaking Spanish, but it sounds like gibberish. <laughs> um, you know, 
uh, yeah, it's my imagination of what Spanish would be like, but it would, and it would be unintelligible gibberish. Um, and notice, you know, that this is the problem. You know, what's, you know, we talked about what's the sin against the Holy Spirit. The sin against the Holy Spirit is, is not listening. It's saying, you know, attributing the source of the message to some other power. Um, other than to the Holy Spirit. And so in this, these hearers, there are those um, in this crowd who are you know, rejecting this message that's being put forward. Um, but the emphasis isn't on you know, those who reject, but is on this message going forth and going forth with power. What else would you say um, Peter's sermon is about? So it's, you know, he's saying this day, this prophecy is being fulfilled. Um, what else would you say about a sermon? Yeah, Frank. Yeah, and, and really that's the heart of the sermon. You know, that's the focal point on the sermon. Isn't on, you know, let me explain to you about the role of the Spirit and what the Spirit's doing. He's using the Spirit, what you're seeing is the Spirit coming upon us because of what Christ, who Christ is and what he's done. You know, that that's the real fulfillment of prophecy and this other is, is part of it. But the, you know, the spotlight of Peter's sermon isn't on what the Spirit's doing. The spotlight is on Christ, who Christ is, what he's done, you know, you know how God could say these words to David, um, but they're clearly not to David. Who are they about? They're about this Jesus Christ, um, who you crucified, but you did so in accordance to God's plan um, that you know, through him, humanity will be redeemed. You, know, you meant it for evil. God meant it for good. Um, but Christ is the center of this sermon. And I, I think this is, again, the, the, the point of the Spirit's ministry is the Spirit is what um, enables the proclamation and reception of the message about Jesus Christ. Yeah, Jay. Yeah, and I, I, um, it's always, you know, lots of things in Christian history frustrate me. But it, it particularly, you know, the way that you get these purges of Jews around um, Easter in, in Christian history. And, you know, that they're the ones who killed Christ. But the point is exactly what you're saying, you. <laughs> um, and even the liturgy. Um, in some liturgies, you, you read through um, the, the passion narratives and so you're the person, the way the liturgy, some liturgies are, are structured, you're the one shouting, crucify him. You know? And for me, that was, that was always um, a powerful experience because it, you know, as, you know, once I came to the knowledge of Christ, that yes, because of my sin, that's why he died. So even though you know, I'm living 2,000 years later and was born in Nashville, Tennessee, and have never even been to Jerusalem, <laughs> much less Jerusalem 2,000 years ago, um, I'm responsible for his death. Um, and the hope is that his death is, is, is for me. Um, you know, but the first step into receiving um, that forgiveness is acknowledging one's participation in his death, that it's your sin that he took on the cross. Uh, and that's the hope, that it's your sin. He had to die because of your sin, but it's your sin he took to the cross with him. Um, yeah, that's a great point. What else would you say? And notice, again, how Christocentric this sermon is. You know, even though, 
we think of Pentecost as the day of the Spirit, and it is. This is, you know, again, it's the atomic bomb, <laughs> and it's the shock waves coming forth from this moment that this bomb falls. Um, you know, everything else we're going to be seeing are the repercussions of the Spirit coming and forming the church at this moment. It's all going to be the subsequent ripples um, coming from this moment. But the, the center of that is the Spirit's pointing to Christ, you know, that it's the way that the Spirit is in the church to point um, the world to Jesus Christ. I mean, look again at, at chapter 1, verse 8, and how it's... Um, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. That is the summary verse for the book of Acts. The Spirit comes and then the rest of the book of Acts is how that Spirit um, is empowering them to take the gospel, to preach the gospel in Jerusalem, to Judea, to Samaria, to Caesarea to Ephesus, to Rome, you know, it's this, you know, it, the, the explosion happens and it's that shock wave of the gospel going out through the known world. Yeah, you have to have that spirit work in you. Um, and they have to have that spirit work in them. I mean, again, what changes at this moment? These guys are cowering behind locked doors. <laughs> and now, you know, henceforth, they're going to be in the streets. They're in temples. They're going to be getting arrested. Um, you know, they're going to be, you know, beaten. In a couple of chapters, you get your first martyr. Um, but they don't care. <laughs> because the Spirit has come upon them. Um, this is the moment in which the Spirit is given to the church. Um, and again, it's um, the gift of the Spirit um, that we all have access to, this empowering um, um, uh, empowerment um, to believe and to proclaim the gospel. Um, Mike, you had a... Yeah, and notice how that ties to what, you know, that passage we saw in, in John. Um, I think we, didn't we talk about this passage in John a few weeks ago where, um, no, no, I, I think we talked about it afterwards, um, where, you know, we, we, that moment is, is kind of confusing. How can the Spirit, you know, he says the Spirit won't say anything apart from me, you know, that the Spirit's not delivering. It's not an independent revelatory agent. <laughs> I guess is the way to think about it in, in Jesus' teaching about the Spirit. The Spirit will lead you into all truth, um, and it's not new truth. Yeah, it's, it's lead you into, you know, now they have eyes to see, Joel, that's fulfilled now. These prophecies to David, those are fulfilled now. You know, it's, I think you're absolutely right. It's, it's taking them back to the Scripture, and now they have, you know, the, these new eyes, you know, these Spirit-given eyes to see Christ um, in these scriptures they've had all along, that you know, they haven't had eyes to see, they haven't had ears to hear, but now the Spirit comes, and now they can take that message and proclaim it and say, this is the one of whom it is said. Um, yeah. Yeah, Jonathan.
Yeah, and that the Spirit is, you know, and notice how, how Peter, Peter says. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brother, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You know, that, you know, repent and believe. Um, and 3,000 of them did. And then subsequently, I, I just love that statement um, at the end of the chapter, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. You know, and um, the, the ordinariness of that, you know, that the growth of the church becomes part of daily experience. Maybe it's not going to happen with the same, you know, 3,000 in one single sermon. Um, yeah, I'm probably pretty confident that that's never happened again. Maybe in Korea. Um, but, you know, that is an epical moment. And then from then on, you know, daily, that number, you know, that number of 3,000, you know, two, three here. And that's what the rest of the book of Acts is all about, is how that church is growing both in numbers and in where it's located. You know, it, it's going to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. You know, it's that the kind of concentric rings growing from this moment when the Spirit comes and now these, you know, guys who've lived with Jesus now have the power to proclaim the message about him. Um, all right, well, we're at time, um, so we'll, we'll end for today, but um, we'll come back to this. Um, um, next week, we'll look at three other passages in, in Acts and sort of see how the Spirit makes its um, appearance um, in other kind of moments, like when it first shows up um, in Samaria or when the first Gentiles are converted. The Spirit is, appears in another dramatic way. Um, when the gospel suddenly starts getting, you know, further and further away, the spirit continues to kind of be manifested. Um, but to emphasize today that there is something distinct um, and significant and earth-shattering about Pentecost, just as there's something distinct about the incarnate, you know, the moment Christ is incarnate um, and, and becomes uh, flesh, just as there's something significant about the moment Christ dies, there's something significant about when Jesus is raised. There's something deeply significant about this gift of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. Um, and though, even though we're going to continue to talk about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, this is the moment the Holy Spirit as itself is given as a distinct gift to the church. So let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you for that spirit that gives us uh, lips to confess, um, as we did last week, that he is risen, he is risen indeed, um, that he is uh, the Messiah, uh, your Christ, um, who came and gave his life as a sacrifice for our sins. And we can only make that confession by the power of your spirit. And part of our identity as a church is to take um, that same spirit-filled message um, to the ends of the earth. And so uh, help us do that even now as we worship. May your spirit be among us and we might uh, proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ um, and of salvation from sin um, and of new life uh, from death that he brings. Um, give us your spirit that we might focus our hearts and our lives on our Savior Jesus Christ in whose name we pray. Amen.